2: They hand it to Steven, Great
0: jump cut. 45. Throws a whole burst through at to it. 20 That's A tackle runs left. 25.
2: Throw to 46-yard goal by number 39. Running back
0: number 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hecker, a high school quarterback, is going to throw. The fake is on, and he's got a first down to Stephen Bailey.
3: Talk Radio with Derek C. and Michael Stewart.
4: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo, my co-host, my partner in crime, former Rams defensive back, Michael Stewart, and we're here to break down the Rams' 29 loss to the Seattle Seahawks and all things that come with it. It wasn't pretty. It was pretty ugly. A lot of good defensive play in this game. Nonetheless, the Rams are on the cusp of potentially being eliminated for the playoffs. Some things have to go wrong and some things have to go right in order for the Rams to make it. Mike, here we go. Entering Week 17 with a meaningful game on the line. It wasn't the meaningful game we we're looking for. Rams are 9-6. Yes, and six. No, sir. <laughs> How you feeling?
2: Hey, man, I'm feeling good. Uh, actually, it's it's raining out here in the sunny Southern Cal. It's actually raining. Nice, chill outside. So it's feeling like it's winter. Uh, we needed it. But other than that, man, I uh, just tried to sleep on that that game yesterday, and so man, I'm glad to uh, kind of get it out today.
4: Sleeping on the game. Yeah. <laughs> I like, it. I, don't, I like to usually get the podcast out immediately after a game. But given certain things that are going on, like heck, the emotional aspect of it, the, I want data. I want to know more about the injury, which we got some word on last night. want to know a little bit more as to what we should be zeroing in on. So here we are on Monday morning with our post game. And just to break down the numbers real quick, and I don't want to stay them all morning, but to, to look down at the numbers, it's it's just not pretty in terms of what we saw for the Rams yesterday. Here, here we go. Um, Rams have 21st downs, the Seahawks 15. They ran 75 plays to 61 for the Seahawks. They all gained them 334 to 292. Yards per play 4.5 to 4.8. Completion percentage 24 43 for the Rams, 20 32 for. The Seahawks sacked three times. Russell Wilson was sacked five times. 118 yards rushing and 95 for the Seahawks. Five penalties. Uh, costly penalties. 0 for 2 in the red zone for the Rams. 2 for 3 for the Seahawks. One turnover. That one turnover was pretty critical. Rams had time position advantage of th- uh, 50 At one point, it was much more than that. Um, how do I say it? For much of the game, the Rams controlled it. Uh, the Seahawks kind of pulled away as the Rams proved unable to capitalize in the second half. There's a change there, a momentum change we'll talk about. And Goff again was 24 43 for 234. Daryl Henderson 12 for 62. Malcolm Brown 7 for 27. Henderson gets hurt in the game. Was still looking for a word on what the full injury is. Cooper Cup 8 catches, 8 for, uh, for 66. Josh Reynolds, 6-for-65 with one critical mistake on his part that nearly cost him. Robert Woods, 4-for-48. Tyler Hibby, 3-for-34. Van Jefferson, the drop, too. Seattle, 16 carries for 69 yards for Chris Carson. Russell Wilson, twenty for 32 225 and a touchdown. Um, DK Metcalf, 6-for-59. He predicted he was going to go for 200 yards receiving before this game. Well... Not so much. David Moore, one catch of 45 yards. And Jacob Hollis for the touchdown, two for 17. The overall tackle, Troy Reader, 11 tackles, six solo. Leonard Floyd, and their big day for him, seven tackles, five of them solo. Jordan Fuller, seven tackles, five solo. So, I mean, there, there we go. I mean, there isn't a whole lot. To talk about besides that, the Rams I think a found their kicker, Matt Gay, another a solid day out
1: there um it's just I mean I don't, my God, the numbers oh, they're frustrating I don't, know. I don't know how do you when you hear them all, what do you really
2: say? yeah, I mean. One thing that stands out is the, uh, the ability that the, the Rams defense has seemed to step up their game. Uh, obviously we'll get in a little bit the the last, uh, you know, two series when they seem like they just couldn't stop the Hawks. But when you look at them being able to shut down their receiving core, I mean, DK Metcalf has just been running wild over everyone. You know, now he made a big play on a, a third down, he was he was stopped short and he just kind of ran over Troy Reeder. So I don't know if a linebacker got caught off guard, but you know, DK Metcalf, that's a big big dude for a receiver. Uh but again when you get down to those situations, it becomes those one-on-one battles that who's gonna win. Hey, I have him tackle short of the first down. Do I get him and drive him back or do I get driven back? And in that case, Uh, reader got, you know, somewhat seemed like caught a little flat footed, maybe surprised that he was going to turn it up. Maybe thought he was going to keep trying to run across his face, but he just said skip and I'm going to turn up and try to get this first down right here. So, but other than that, man, defense seemed like they, uh, stepped it up most of the time, except maybe that last, those last two drives when we needed to stop them and, uh, the Seahawks were just able to make plays. And so. You know, for me, the only number at this time of the year that matters is what the final score is. And we came up on the shorty.
4: And in the end, that's all that really matters, right? I mean, I feel down about it more than anything else. In terms of, for just Talking in terms of feelings, down. But there are some, some significant problems here to talk about with the Rams. In, and usually this is the point where we will go, There, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. I mean, first things first, the defensive breakdowns late in the game should not be ignored because the Rams controlled the clock for much of the first half. They sh- the Rams' defense shouldn't have been tired. They shouldn't have been. So I don't want to hear, well, they were tired, the offense keep keeping off. The-. No, the offense did enough to hold possession for a while. They slowed down the game. They, they were able to keep Russell Wilson off his game a bit. When you, get, when, you get sat, when you get five sacks on Russell Wilson, when you hold him under 250 yards passing, you should win that game. When you hold him under 100 yards rushing, you should win that game. This is on the offense. And if we're going to really get into it, who it's on, this is a bit different for us. Every week, if there's a problem with the Rams, it's usually the same problem. It's usually play calling in combination with... Uh, with, with Jared Goff in combination with the offensive line, you know there's several usual issues here. But on Sunday, I saw Sean McVay trying to mix up his playbook. On Sunday, I saw an offensive line that wasn't perfect but still gave Goff some time. And I saw a lot of things that showed the Rams to control the game in their style of football. What was the problem from the first snap? And that problem was Jared Goff. It wasn't really anybody else. His accuracy was off. He, he just didn't seem like he was there. Didn't seem prepared. Uh, the interception was awful. That, was, that interception was a combination of multiple rollouts with him thrown across his body. I mean, and when Jared Goff makes a bad throw is usually in the middle of the field. What we see on Sunday, that court, that interception was a throw across his body back to the middle of the field, yep. and there was nobody there. Yeah. So I just look at that and go, this is on Goff. This is on Goff for multiple reasons. And then, you know, a trend that I'm noticing that we haven't talked about because I think Goff has been better this season than he has been past years. I think his, his numbers actually show that.
1: But, Mike, some things aren't growing with him are the leadership you've mentioned a few times and sometimes I think emotions it,
4: emotion is overrated in a game but you need a quarterback to show some emotion out there show some fire show at least for the rest of your teammates that you are not gonna let this team go down you're gonna show you know, there's your standard poise in the pocket, which every quarterback should have. And then there is the the superhuman franchise level quarterback poise. That leadership that and I think it's very easy to see it say in Russell Wilson. And I know we're gonna show a little bit of admiration for the enemy here, but when you look at Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson will have his bad days, but there's a reason why we see him as an elite quarterback, and it's because this guy leads.
1: Yeah. There is no quitting him. There is no, um, there, well, let's just say there's, there's a draw to him. When the Seahawks are in trouble, he puts it on his shoulders, and more often than not, he makes the plays. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. In all the years that Jared Goff has been the quarterback of this team, when he's had a poor first half, how often has he come out in the second half and been that much better? And I, and I can only think of one game,
4: and that was against the championship game. I can't think of any other game, like. I can't think of any other time where he turned it around to the point where, you know, he was the guy. Like, it was him. Like, you could say there have been comebacks like the Bills game. That was a team effort. But there has been nothing I've seen where Jared Goff led the show. And so yesterday on Twitter, because I've been very particular about this. You know how particular I am. Yeah, I am yeah. not. I, am, I will call out Jared Goff, but I also won't, call, I won't just ignore the other issues. Like, how many times have we said Jared Goff this, this, and this? But, hey, let's also not forget this, this, and this. Well, yesterday the Rams. I mean, there were some pass protection issues, but
1: a lot of it was when they were when they were forced to go one dimensional. He had time to throw the football. He had time. He made mistakes all on his own. He had some
4: horrifyingly inaccurate throws. First, what, uh, Mike? I'm just. I can't defend that, and I wrote that on Twitter. I, I said. Normally, we you know we'll, we'll talk about all the issues. We we'll, won't we'll just blame Goff. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what I wrote. It. But this is all on him. And man, alive, I had some people come after me on there, well, you know, well, you didn't watch the film before, but, but no, I been the whole reason I can point out the other issues is because we do watch the film, because we do see other problems. I couldn't do that yesterday. I'm sure there were team mistakes, but nothing that were detrimental to the point where they couldn't be overcome
2: absolutely man and basically what you're talking about and i think what not i think what i know what we see is at this stage of the season this stage of jared groff's career this stage of being in this system now what four seasons You want to see a certain elevation of expertise, know-how, ability, trust, so on and so forth. And that's not what you're seeing. You're basically seeing, you know, if we're looking at a heart monitor and someone's flatlining, you see a straight line. You don't see peaks, valleys, lows. You just kind of see a straight line with Jared Goff. It's just kind of a hey man, it's nothing so negative and it's nothing so great, but in the NFL, you have to be able to elevate at certain times during games, during stretches of the seasons, uh, against certain teams, whatever it may be. It's almost like the Seattle defense is in his head before the game gets going. And it just seemed like he came out And it's just kind of like you're playing a little shell shock when, okay, let them get to you, sack you five or six times, you know, make you have to go in a tent or something like that before you get shell shocked. It just seemed like he's coming out and it's showing up in the play. And then that's where it becomes the inconsistencies that we see. Oh, it looks like, okay, we're doing a little bit better and things like that. I am going to disagree with you a little bit on the play calling though. Yes, he tried to get a little more, but not really. Because as soon as it got down to press time, we went back to empty backfield. Malcolm Brown, once he came in in that fourth quarter, he broke off a run about 12 or 14 yards, just ran the DB over. And it's like, yes, now, you know, and at that time it was 9 to 14. So we're kind of driving down the field and we end up sputtering. But my thing is, we started we didn't say you know what we're gonna stick with this run game we just gonna pound these guys right now wear them down a little bit more and just pound them we got big dude in here let's just go pound these dudes. we didn't do that we get one run and we go back to kind of the same thing so and even before uh henderson got hurt on a crazy play i mean that was a heck of a play by jamal adams but man he twisted his ankle up pretty good uh it just it's like man it doesn't seem like we will, we want to stick with the run. We just want to kind of use the run as a fangle and then just try to do play action, but you got to actually run the ball more times and once twice before you can really get effective play action. So, man, I don't know.
4: Well, no, I'm referring in terms of play calling to the first half. Yeah, yeah. And okay. much of the, in much of the second half, I think Sean McVay probably shot away from the run when they were down to one running back, pretty much. Yeah. One guy they trusted. The they don't. Want, and and so you have to you have to move the ball down the field. You you have to oh man, you have to preserve the health of the one guy you have left. I mean, that he was some, a tough bug. You
2: make some good points because Malcolm Brown, he picks up some dudes on some blitzes. So I know he knows his blitz pickup because he he was smashing a couple guys. Yeah. They coming in there, and he was. So yeah, to your point, if you don't have him now, you don't even have a guy to help in the in the pass game. So yeah, that's a good point.
4: I mean, but I I still think that in the end, the play calling overall is. But I think that they knew what they had to do, especially when Seattle was was focused on the edges. They wanted to keep the ball in the middle of the field, um, but that also meant. Opportunity. The Rams had opportunities in the middle of the field, uh, especially in the running game, to, to make a dent. And they started to do that here and there. And, and, you know, two things
1: happened in this game that really, I think, hurt the Rams. One was the interception.
4: That, that one just was, was a bad, the momentum of the game shifted from there. The Rams had controlled the game pretty much up to that point. And the second one was the Henderson injury. Henderson was running well. He had found his stride. Uh, what I like about the Rams running backs is I don't think any really superstars, but any of them are capable of running for 100 yards a week. They are good. They're good stable. And I think the Rams, if, if they can keep that group together, have a good future there. They, they have a nice core running backs. So, Cam Akers goes down, and Daryl Henderson's running fine. Running well. Losing him, I think, hurt them. But what it all comes back down to is this offense has a ton of weapons. I mean, they don't have the number one receiver we all want, which is another problem. The the reason why the Seahawks can do what they do in this game is because there's no fear of the Rams going deep. None. There's no fear of it. So they can come up and do whatever they want towards the line, and the Rams just played into that. They don't have a quarterback
1: right now who is saying "screw this crap." I'm going there, and I think it's in head coach Sean McVay's hell a little bit too now at this point. What are you going to do? They didn't take one deep shot,
4: Mike. Not one.
2: The funny thing is, they really couldn't. I mean, if if when you go back and look at some of the highlights of it, you can just you see mean lowlights. <laughs> yeah, low lights, highlights, no lights, the out lights, but dim lights, all that good stuff. When you look at it, you literally see the guys on the outside getting jammed up off the line. So that disrupts the timing of anything that's deep. And so what you have to do, you have to figure out if uh your deep threat guy is gonna be Josh Reynolds or whomever it's gonna be. I still think I don't know why Jefferson isn't that guy something is up with that uh i just feel like there must be something in this salary contract they don't want him to hit some escalators because man i would put that guy taking from an outside position bring him down in motion and just let him go to work now he has an option he could run a corner route he could run a bend he could run a, a a late crosser he could do some things But you can't just always have a guy stationary where guys can get hands on him. You got to put a guy in motion where now he can get an easier release on any of the receivers. And so uh, it just seems like, again, you know, this is my buddy Ken Norton. He's a DC for Seattle. It just seems like he has those guys' numbers and, uh, and he just seems like they're calling defenses that seem to match up very well. I will point out one thing that I think what also is hindering Jeff uh, uh, Jared's is golf is that at times he doesn't know when to hit the check down. You know, a couple of times on those last two series, there was a chance to hit Malcolm Brown where he could have got the ball turned up. Now, does he get the first down or not? I don't know. But if you get Malcolm Brown in a one on one situation, now he's outside and he's turning up on a corner, maybe it's Jamal Adams, you know, he's going to win a battle on a one-on-one tackle, you know, seven out of 10 times, you know, you got to be extremely good tackler and you got to have some force to bring a guy down like him. So there's a couple times he could have just dumped it quick, quicker to a Malcolm Brown, let him turn up, get another four or five, maybe breaks a tackle and turns it into a 20 yard run. But that's where I think when you're saying he's trying to go down the field, hang in there, hang in there, and then he just takes sacks and is like, come on, man, throw the ball away. Not to them, throw it out of bounds or something. But it sometimes he just doesn't seem like he knows when to hit that check down, when he needs to. And those are sometimes the things that just keeps the drive alive, hit that check down, pick up that four or five and keep the chains moving. So yeah, it's it's just tough all the way around to see how the team adjusts. What I will say is, additionally, the Seahawks seem like, especially those last two times they scored, they were able to start adapting to, to the Rams' defense because we were really just lights out on those guys until those kind of last two drives that they had when they scored. Uh, but they made some necessary changes. And they were able to pick up points off it. So again, as you you were leading into, you know, McVeigh, man, I mean, we can say Jared Goff and all this, but hey, man, you know, the word is out. I had a good buddy of mine who's a broadcaster. He's like, man, and it sounded like he was talking to you. He goes, man, I'm so tired of this guy going to the mic talking about I got to get better. He's like, when is it going to get better? And that's kind of where it is at this point.
1: I mean, that's, was more or less than lesson lesson. They're saying they're going to fix it. They're going right. to fix it. Well, I mean, like, seriously, how are you going to fix it at this point? It's week 17 now. Right. I mean, that's where it's going at this point. And now you have the the probability that it's, a broken thumb for Jaragoff. And if it's a severe enough broken thumb, he's not
2: playing next weekend. I mean, he's out for the year probably at this point. Well, I've seen some commentary that says, broken finger or not, let that guy sit down and let it ride on him, whether we win or whether we lose. If if we go with the young buck and we lose, so be it. If we go with him and we still lose, so be it. You know, it's it's almost time, like, you know, the Rams gotta think about is this guy can he even get it done? And 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 I think that's where the discussion is heading. And a lot of the commentary I've seen is like, trade the guy, do this, do that. But you know, I don't know if anyone's, you know, really paying attention to what the, the salary cap stuff would mean with all that stuff. But well,
4: we're gonna talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> but the the thing is this though too. <laughs> i don't I don't think it'd be fair to, to John Wolford John Wolford sitting on the bench waiting for a shot and you give him a shot against the Cardinals, week seventeen at the playoffs in the line on a week's notice of no rapport with this receivers are all just this is your shot, that's it, right. and so you want to see what you got in John Wolford <laughs> seriously you know and, and no matter how much you know golf drives people nuts right now,
2: uh you put it a different way, yeah, that would be that would be kinda. A little bit messed up for him because like, yeah, how much is he going to be able to improve? And really, when it comes down to, at this time of year, they're going in today. They're going to run around in their shorts uh, off tomorrow. You technically are going to have Wednesday and Thursday. Friday's just a run through. So literally, you're talking two and a half days of practice that you're supposed to come in there and get lights out. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But what the heck?
4: Pretty much. I mean, and, and if it is broken, he's probably not playing. I mean, the fact that he he finished the game is, yeah, give him props in that. When you break a thumb or you dislocate something like that, you know, Drew Brees was off for six weeks last year for the same injury, right, or similar right, injury, right? You know, the, people want to talk about Goss' lack of toughness and lack. That that's a bunch of that's a bunch of crap. It's not. A lack of toughness. The guy is to the pocket. He's taking his hits. He's that's that's hot garbage. do you know when he ran and he gave himself up early in that third down run yesterday, what'd you expect your franchise quarterback to do? If he Get had gone, the first down. Well, we expect that, sure. But you know what? If he had gone for it and got knocked out, aka Troy Aikman, we would we would have been calling him a moron.
2: We'd have been like, Hey man, at least he tried. <laughs> As he's laid out and out for the year in Troy Aikmanized, yeah. Well, I I just look at it because, you know, Troy Aikman was on the call, uh, at least on the uh, broadcast we were watching out here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I listen to guys who played the game in their commentary because they've actually been there. He goes, hey, you know, sometimes and he kind of made mention, you know, this is maybe the difference between a Russell Wilson or someone else. You know, in that situation, you know, when your team has to have it, sometimes you just got to throw it in there like that. And then he went on to say, you know, when it looked like Jared golf might've popped his thumb back in place, he goes, Oh man, you know, I've had this injury many times. I got a knot on my thumb now from hitting so many helmets. Uh, he's like, yeah, man, that's, that's a, a pretty, pretty tough thing. This guy's pretty tough to be able to finish that out. So yeah, that speaks for his toughness and things like that. But he mentioned that it messes up your grip. If you're a guy who really grips the ball, like he did, Troy Aikman said, Mm uh, It throws off the timing on, you know, trying to grip and things like that. So that's what it comes down to. If 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 the thumb is is broken, which something is wrong with it, because, yeah, you hit that that bad boy pretty hard Uh, and you could tell he was trying to just deal with it. And during the game, adrenaline can carry you through what it seemed like it did. Great. Uh, But, yeah, it'll be telling to see because if you go into a game with your thumb banged up and it's broken and you're trying to play with it, that's going to be bad news. But, again, we don't know what the injury is on uh, Hendo and if it's a high ankle sprain now. It looked like it was pretty tough the way they showed it in slow motion. So, yeah, man, it'll be interesting. This is going to be a very interesting week. But as I was talking to a number of people after the game, it's like, are we serious? We're really like, we have to win and then we need help to get into the playoffs when we had our, we had it all in our own control. That's what to me is more when you got to now, okay, is it players? Is it scheme? Is it the coach? You know, we literally lost these last number of games when we had to have it. And at this time of the year, that's what separates those who win championships. Are the ones who are able to, again, take that step up to get a win when you have to have it. We needed this win, and you know it was tight until the last quarter, and we just we just got to score points. We can't just settle for field goals. Not at this time of year.
4: Well, in the end, you know Jordan Rodriguez, who's been who's been doing a great job covering the Rams from the athletic. Lay it out like this. Basically, she said bad decisions from Jared Goff.
1: You know, and there were other things too. But, you know, I can't disagree with that. She's
4: absolutely right. In the end, it's bad decisions by Jared Goff. And now you have other that have put them in this position. If Jared Goff makes better decisions throughout this year, we're not even talking about the need for him to play this weekend. We're talking about John Wolfer mopping up the season. How about that? How about that? Yes. You know, so let's back that up a little bit and
1: talk about that. This, you know, I don't, how do I say this? There are few quarterbacks who, when they're on, can land a throw like Jared Goff can. We've seen it.
4: And I've mentioned it, and this is ad nauseum now. How many times do I need to say it? Okay. The problem is twofold. One, when he's off, he's
1: off. Okay. And two, his decision-making is almost never great and almost always below average. And at some point, that holds up the most talented people. I think of Dwayne Hattons in Washington, who has every physical tool in the book. It's a wrap
2: for him. Yeah.
4: He's got every physical tool in the book. And he's been making decisions that are absolutely horrid out there.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay.
4: I think of one of the biggest busts of all time, Ryan Leaf, had every single physical tool imaginable to be successful. And he'll tell you that. He'll also tell you that he messed it all up. Jamarcus
1: Russell. Okay. Now, Goff has been more successful than all those guys at this point but decision making is always the career ender it is no doubt about it no you can have, doubt
4: about it you can have every physical tool in the book so at this point it looks like jared goff isn't getting any better there he's hit his hit his is it, is it yeah, well is this his ceiling is this the end of his growth because if it is the rams got to make some moves with him and then the Rams have another problem there. But first things first, hey, you know, again, I hope his thumb isn't broken. I'm hoping he's playing this weekend. I still will take him over John Wolford. Some people may disagree with that, but you can't put that kid out there in that position with no time with his receivers. You just don't do it. You you got to hope Goff can go. You got to hope it is is what it is. But we're looking at a future now with the Rams that is different than I think either one of us imagined. I want to get there in a minute. First, folks, I want to ask you to hit over to Apple Music. If you haven't already, leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. If you could, subscribe wherever you listen to us at, whether it's a Stitcher or Apple or wherever. We'd really appreciate a subscription. Those two things help us more than anything else when it comes to getting up the charts, when it comes to making Magic Cabin, all right? And don't forget, we've joined Blue Wire Pods. We'll start hearing some ads from them soon on our show. Please support, uh, if you can. Anyone we ever ad reads for. All right. So, Mike, you and I, we've been talking about this for a while now. The Rams, I didn't really believe were built for this year. I think they were kind of built as kind of this year's a building block for next year. And then COVID yeah. happened. Yeah. And now we're seeing more and more news coming out about the results. And it's looking like the salary cap next year is going to be $175 million.
1: Well, the Rams weren't built for that. The Rams were built basically under the idea that the new TV contract would, well, shall I say, bump up the salary cap significantly. That's a problem. And the reason it's a problem is because even with rollover money from this year to next year.
4: According to Spot the Rams right now are seventeen point eight million under the cap. Sorry, over the cap.
1: Over the cap. And this is without any draft picks. This is without um, this is without making any of the roster moves. 17 million over the cap, almost 18, estimated. The dead cap money involved for the person you
4: consider changing out from is worse. Now, we're hearing
1: calls for, man, we are hearing calls for Jared Goff to be moved. Let's talk about that for a minute because it's not as easy as people think it is. Jared Goff next year. Let's break these numbers down. Now, I'm not saying this can't happen, by the way. We saw the
4: Rams do some very interesting things last year with Todd Gurley and um, who else was it? Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks. Or they ain't significant dead cap money for this. But here we go. For the Rams for next year, right now, their dead cap hit for a pre-June 1st release is $65 million, 65.5. You would lose $30 million in cap savings, not gain $30 million in cap savings. A post-June 1st release is minus fifteen $15 a post June 1st trade, they get 27 back, but you still have a 15.4 dead cap. Then what I'm zeroing in on, Mike, is this: a pre June 1st trade would leave them, yes, with 22
1: million in dead cap space. Ouch! It would save them 12.4 million in cap. So, what's that mean? What that means is they would have less room to sign players, basically, but you'd still get some money back. If they trade him before June 1st, would somebody be willing to take on the remainder of his contract? I would think so. I think there would be a couple of teams out there who think they can shine shine him up a bit. Do you think that's the direction the Rams should go? Or do you think that the Rams got to keep working on him? Well,
2: what echoes in my mind is what you were saying really the past two years about the Rams just need to take their medicine. Take their medicine. Take their medicine. Take their medicine. medicine. And it's like, yeah, we need to take our medicine. We kind of did But as you noted, it was really when you look at just from number standpoint, it was built on the cap going up significantly this year, taking our medicine and then being able to with the increased flow of money coming in from new TV contract or what have you uh, this year, you know, minus a COVID pandemic, we would have some money to now add a few pieces and do some things and and maybe make some trades and things like that. You have a lot more to work with. The reality of the situation now is that's not going to be the case. What do you do? But yeah, do you take a huge cap hit or do you roll a dice one more year? You know, popular, well, at least after yesterday, a lot of people think like, man, again, take your medicine and just call it. But when you do that, now, how do you get a quarterback for the future? You don't have a draft pick. Can you find a guy in the second, third round or a third round guy who can be a guy? You can, but is there a guy like that out there this year? You know, most of those guys are going to be in the top two rounds for sure. Now, is there a third round guy out there? I don't know. I'm not that deep into it possibly anybody can come in and and be not anybody but can you find a Tom Brady in the 6th round yeah i don't know you you can but it just it, it it's just a bad situation at this point there doesn't seem to be a road to victory either way hey let a guy go hey let's make a trade now can you find a team i don't know is there a team that's willing to make a straight up trade quarterback for quarterback a la Carson Wentz for Jared Goff? I don't know. But then if you were Jared Goff, are you going to go to Philly and now possibly be the backup? Yeah. How does that work? So there's just a lot going on. Maybe there's a trade. Do we want a Dwayne Haskins? No. We see what he wants to do. He's not putting no work in in the film room. He wants to be out in the club. No. You come to LA just as bad. No. We couldn't go straight up there, you know, to be, you know, depending on what's going to happen with Alex Smith's future. So there just doesn't seem to be a, a scenario right now that's showing itself to be positive in any way for the Rams moving forward, except stick with Jared Goff. And maybe next year is the year he takes off and becomes that possibly down the road, Hall of Fame quarterback, Kurt Warner, Reed uh, coming back to, you know, I don't know. So, yeah, but the hot seat is now to say, you know, if it keeps showing yourself that it's not working, you have enough data to say more likely than not, next year is not going to be much different.
1: The name I keep hearing banged about by Rams fans is Sam Darnold. That's the one I keep hearing about. And I think that that might be something you consider, especially
4: since the Jets are not going to get the top pick in the draft
1: uh, at this point. But would. Would the Jets even want Jared Goff? And
4: would the Rams want a reclamation project in Sam Darnold? That's a lot of speculation. That's fanboy speculation. And I'm totally cool with that in terms of speculation, but that is the kind of thing that would probably have to happen for the Rams because
1: Darnold's, Darnold's contract is not that hefty at this point. It would offset you know, the, the, some of the dead cap loss. I would say that
4: deals like that are going to be few and far between. They're going to have to take a flyer in a veteran. Or you have to sit back and, and, and consider, is Jared Goff fixable? Is the offense fixable? How much of it is reliant on, on a receiver getting open deep? We keep forgetting that it's not just about the quarterback even though it was to me about the quarterback yesterday we've been BSing about this for months now the rams don't have someone who scares you deep they don't and that already puts a, you know, in a little bit of a hamstring that that really kind of makes your offense more susceptible to things like yesterday happening so the biggest problem though is The salary cap, instead of going up massively, it could be going down by about $23 million. Right. And you got rookies you got to pay. You got other contracts coming up. You just paid out new contracts to serve your stars. And this, by the way, the idea that you need, that you have to have a $175 million salary cap
1: is kind of idiotic in my view. The NFL's been banking profit for years. Profit,
4: profit, profit, profit for years. And you can't tell them the TV ratings are taking that big of a hit either because, I mean, well, one, they're doing a 10 times. They're doing a ton better than, than the NBA ever has during this pandemic in terms of TV ratings, okay? You know, they are still hammering out the TV ratings. They're losing the at-home revenue. Yes, that sucks. But don't tell me that you have to go down to $175 for a salary cap off of one year of hardship when you've been banking profits for years and years and years and years and years.
2: <laughs> right. But they don't want you to know that though, right? That's because.
4: really not how business, norm, you know, businesses... Right. Are going to usually have, you know, if you're a well-run business, you're going to have an occasional year in the red. Those things, right. they do happen, you know. Right, right. But that's the whole point of, of building a successful business is that you've been banking your profit for years to be able to handle a down year. So yes. don't give me the, you don't really have to. You
1: Come can on, say what's well, economically can we get an expedient. Amen.
2: Can we get an amen in the choir? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, so because all of us, what are we waiting for? Man, I can't wait till Thursday. Man, I can't wait till Monday. Man, I can't wait till this Sunday. You know, you're waiting for these games. So, yeah, I've probably watched more football this year than in years past because why? Yeah, hey, it gives you something to do on these weekends and Mondays and and Thursday nights and things that when not mm -hmm. not much is going on. Absolutely, man.
4: I mean, that's the thing is – I. There's no doubt in my mind, like these these teams have lost money.
2: Uh, Yeah, well, like you're saying, that game, you know, parking revenue, concessions, you know, maybe some of the ticket sale, you know, merchandising at the the field. But absolutely, there's a case to be made that, yeah, viewership has probably not gone down that much.
4: But even if it has, all right, you, I mean, this team, this league has been growing Financially, pretty much every year since, what, the 70s? Right. You cannot tell me that you can't handle one year. So, wait a minute. You have teams like the Rams right. who spend on their players. They develop their players. They, and this kind of goes back to some previous conversation about the Sour Cap before. But you got teams that have always been ones who are forward-thinking or willing to spend. And in the end, on a whim, over a one-year thing, where a team probably has already had a plan in action about what they're gonna do for like the last two, three years, they had this plan in action. Now you're gonna turn around and tell them they gotta spend $23 million less. You, you, you're you telling them they have to un- upend their plan because of this. That's a bunch well, of BS. Let these teams spend to the salary cap, at least keep it what it is, but let them, keep the salary cap, don't mess with it. Go, go save your money elsewhere if you need to but don't destroy franchises because of something that was out of their control
2: well you absolutely have when teams are routinely paying the fine to be over the cap as well so where does that money go you know well, so, well this
4: isn't this isn't this is not basketball though this is The the salary cap is a hard cap in the NFL.
2: Well, but I thought they still have times when you can go over the cap.
4: No, that's – no, unfortunately not. They have to get under the cap by set dates. But to your point, those are the teams that come close always, and they're the ones who are usually trying to win the most, right? They're the ones who – the Rams are financial wizards. They have been – excellent financial for a long time. They always find a way to kind of get as much money out of their books as possible. Those teams should not be punished over something that was outside of league control. When you've got profit there, you've had profit every year for 25 some years now. Don't tell me you
1: can't take a hit one year and in the process you want to go ahead and damage the futures of teams because of it. That's BS. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, I get tired of that. you. You have teams for years that have been
4: cheapskates, right? Like the Bengals. You know, who go under the cap every single year for the most part. And they all
1: of a sudden will have an advantage now. Where the Rams will probably have to dump some players. The Bengals don't have to do that. Because the Bengals have been, what, underspending for years. Right. Where the Rams have
4: been actually investing in their, in their roster. For all the talk we have about the Rams doing, doing this and doing this and doing this. Look at, by the way, look at Dante Fowler this year. Look at Corey Littleton. We underestimate the decision-making about, of the Rams for years now. Yeah. Those two players have drastically underplayed their contracts. Lamarcus Joyner
1: in the with the Raiders. Have you even heard his name called since he left the Rams? Every year we complain about the decisions the
4: Rams make with the roster, but they almost always wind up making the right decision. The one that I'd say they didn't make was John Franklin Myers. He's blowing it up for the Jets. But even he missed last season. So that's pretty much it. The Rams have made Excellent personnel moves on when to let people go for years now, and all of a sudden,
1: um, here we are. Todd Gurley, they they realize they gotta get out. They let him go. That
4: one was probably a bit of a bonehead move in terms of, but you want to sign your stars. That's the point. I'm ranting, Mike. Stop me from ranting, but the, no, the Rams I mean, are being you're, you're punished you're, for you're, being you're a you're team right that it, is, you know, is forward-thinking.
2: Yeah, some of those guys, you know, you go to different teams and the scheme does, doesn't seem to fit. You know, you look at Gurley and it's like, yeah, he's had definitely a pedestrian year. You know, they weren't willing to give him the ball, you know, 20, 30 times a game. Uh, there's a reason for that. You know, the things coming out of, again, college, his knee was only going to be good for so many years, regardless of how much training. And you got to imagine this guy is, you know, training with, uh, I believe it's Mr. Terrell Gaines is his name. Uh, pretty, pretty known now for training, uh, NFL guys. Uh, that's been his guy. So when you look at it for us in the Rams, yes, but again, Everything comes down to that player that you keep or release, and what they actually do that next year either makes you a genius or not so much uh so I think the rams have have shown that they've made some wise and good decisions uh and then right now, the big question is: can Jared Goff elevate any anymore, or is this truly it? If this is truly it, then eventually they're going to move on because this is not going to get you probably not in the playoffs because if you think about it, the, the defense didn't come along because we were like, man, you got a brand new guy. You didn't have any real off season. How's the defense going to really gel? But you have a hope when you got a guy named Aaron Donald to anchor the D line. And now we saw other guys starting to step up. Brocker starts stepping up, you know, Leonard, you know, in the trade, he starts stepping up. So. Now you have a defense, you, you felt like you had a good player in Jalen Ramsey, you know, he's playing consistent. Some of these young guys start stepping up and, and playing, so you end up having now a pretty sound defense, and you go, whew, okay, we dodged the defensive bullet, you know, with a new D.C. Defense is playing well. You take away that defense, we're not even thinking about being in the playoffs. It definitely would have been, hey, yeah, we're getting ready for next year. Hopefully, my fans, now we can enjoy the stadium and all that good stuff. But where we're at now, there's a high spotlight now on Jared Goff as well as Coach McVeigh because these are the things you don't know as management saying, hey, we got to go with this guy for another two years, three years. Hey, McVay, you need to make it work. And guys in the room uh, are saying, hey, man, this guy can't lead us like that. You know, I'm interesting, you know, Jalen Ramsey seemed to tell Jarrett something like, I don't know, I'm speculating. Hey man, we got you. We're gonna get this ball back. We're gonna need you to take us down and score whatever. I don't know what he told him, but when you have guys, you know, kind of constantly having to go to your quarterback as opposed to we'll just use Russell Wilson, that guy comes out and he goes to the players, defense, offense, coaches and tells him, hey, we got this, we're going to do that. He does that. Jared Goff doesn't do that. He goes over there, sits on the sideline. And yesterday was one of the first time I saw, uh, and I'm I'm assuming that's his quarterback, Koz, was just kind of getting into him after Sean McVay looked like he got into him (laughs) underneath that mask. So, and he kind of showed a little emotion. He at least slammed his helmet on the the little holder. It it sat, sat on and, you know, and, and, Seemed like his face got a little frowned up, but I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's, you know, this emotional thing is in him. It just needs to come out a little bit more, you know, but you are who you are. If you're not that type of person, you're just not that type of person. And so it'll be interesting to see, one, what this week holds, who's going to actually play. And then we need this game absolutely on Sunday. And how that plays out, it's going to be interesting to see because now you start hearing this Urban Meyer talk again. It's like, this guy doesn't want to coach.
4: Well, as, a, as an Ohio State guy, I'd tell you that Urban Meyer would be a crackhead to go back to coaching, which means he probably will. because It's like a drug to him, but I mean,
2: right, right.
4: <laughs> I, I've seen it firsthand. What The guy is so intense that right. it would just freaking kill him. I'm serious. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this. We, folks, just to to shift, we had a plan this week to, we did actually, we recorded a podcast talking about Kevin Green. And unfortunately, we had a tech issue where the recording was unusable. And we want to talk about Kevin Green today, but we've been so into discussing the game here that I got to put Kevin Green, that conversation in the middle of the week, because he deserves more than a five minute, ten minute mention. So, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Kevin Green this week. Hall of Famer, a guy I wish could have spent his whole year, his whole career at the Rams, and it didn't work out that way. We'll talk about that, but tune in for that. We're going to talk about Kevin Green this week and really break down his career. And unfortunately, we had a good podcast already recorded for it and it went bye bye. So, with us for that. We'll get a preview out for the Cardinal game. This we're going to probably avoid talking about the Cardinal game until we know what's up with Goff today. So we're going to talk more about that midweek. And in the meantime, folks,
1: I mean, a future I thought was bright for the Rams. I'm not saying it's not, but there are some hurdles that have to be jumped.
4: in the next, let's say, three months, actually more like two months, two months and change, are going to tell us a lot about where this Rams team is going in the future and what they believe in. I'm seeing a lot of people moving away from Goff, uh, thinking the Rams are going to try and get out of there. Let's find out what they do. Uh, I guess, in the end, what do the Rams want and what do they believe about Goff? Is there something there? Can can Goff be quote-unquote fixed? I mean, let's be honest, he's had a pretty good year stats-wise, but in the big ones, like yesterday, where was he? And that's what the Rams have to solve. Mike, any closing thoughts?
2: Yeah, man, I just totally, uh, I'm on board, man. It's it's interesting how sometimes we go at it back and forth, but I think we're in a consensus that, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, Mr. Goff, there's some question marks that keep coming up that have to be answered. And to your to your point, uh, we're gonna see, we'll probably see after this week, we probably won't need two months. We will see after this week where the Rams are gonna be heading pretty quickly, I think, because uh the one thing about this pandemic, maybe things aren't as in the media as usual, but I think that fervor for some heads to be chopped off or gonna start hitting a higher pitch if certain things don't happen. If the Rams don't make the playoffs, oh my goodness. Watch and see. But uh I think a lot just rides on this week. So I'm I'm just like, yeah, these next five to seven days, we'll figure it out uh pretty quickly. We will.
4: We will. And we're gonna find out a whole lot about. The Rams in general. The, the, the thing is this, is we're talking about a Super bowl-caliber Bowl defense. And one, by the way, we didn't see that coming when Staley was hired. We didn't think that was going to be the case, but it's a super bowl-caliber defense. To waste it, to waste it would be the sin here. And that's what's on the verge of happening. And that defense has come up big this weekend because... You know, we, we now believe it to be a high ankle sprain. That's what you're know, reporting. Um, you know, the internet reporting that Henderson has a high ankle sprain, at least that's what the Rams believe, making him unlikely to play.
1: So that means you're down to Malcolm Brown and possibly John Wolford. Possibly John Wolford as your quarterback this weekend.
4: Uh, that's a problem. I mean, that's your season right there. So the defense has to come up big. All right, folks, follow us on Twitter at Talk Rams. You can follow me on Twitter at DC Paul. You can follow Mike at 1 Duke 23. Don't forget our website, RamsTalk.net, which has all kinds of new writing up for the Rams. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. We'll be back with Butting Heads either tomorrow or Wednesday, followed by our preview podcast, the Ramp Stock Radio discussing, of course, Kevin Green, and, of course, the big one next weekend. Have a great one. We're out of here. We're out.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.